From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. The Book of Leviticus, Sefer Vikra. Leviticus 14, Matsura. Washing is washing. This week we read more about the physical and spiritual uncleanliness and their remedies. One of the steps required to cleanse oneself is to wash or bathe in water. Today it seems completely obvious that an unclean person should wash. But actually this fact was not known to the medical world until quite recently, just some 100 years ago. When the plagues ravaged Europe and the Jewish villages survived to a much greater extent than the surrounding Gentile villages, people thought the Jews were witches. But actually, we survived because we washed after touching an unclean thing. We can learn about the nature of uncleanliness by the way we wash our hands. When we wash before eating bread, we fill the cup with water and pour it over our right hand first. One, two, three times. Some say two times is enough. Then we pour the water on the left hand three times. However, when we wash for uncleanliness, such as upon waking from sleep, using the restroom, bleeding or such, then we wash quite differently. For this type of washing, we pour the water on the right hand one time, then we pour it on the left hand one time, then back to the right, then back to the left, and so on, until we have washed each hand three times. Why should we go through all the trouble of switching the cup back and forth? After all, washing is washing. When we are washing for bread, the main intent is to elevate our hands in spirituality. It is also a cleansing, but its main function is to be a reminder of the priest who would wash before eating their portion of the sacrifices and tithes. In this case, we simply continue washing each hand until it is clean. The reason we wash three times is as follows. The first rinse washes away the uncleanliness. The second rinse washes away the water that touched the uncleanliness. And the third rinse washes away any unclean water that we might have missed. However, when we are washing for a more severe uncleanliness, it is as if we have acid on our hands. If we would continue to pour water on the same hand two or three times, the other hand would be burning by then. So the quickest way to rid ourselves of this acid is to rinse one hand and then quickly rinse the other hand and then back and continue like that until the acid is gone. Even the smallest tradition that we have maintained throughout the ages comes with many levels of understanding. They are precious and must be guarded. As we do them time and time again, a greater appreciation of their importance should dawn. This week's portion teaches us the laws of purification. The unclean person described here suffered from a disease that manifested on his skin. Our sages explain that this disease is a physical manifestation of a spiritual disease that was brought about mostly from the sin of evil gossip. The affected person is exiled out of the camp and suffers great humiliation as a result of his sin. Since his sin of gossip humiliated the person he sinned against, he too must be humiliated. We are told that in order to know God, we must be humble, 
and that Moshe was the most humble of all people. But is this humility that the plagued person suffers the same type humility that we are to strive for? No, not at all. The humility the plagued person suffers is the result of his sin. He is embarrassed because of what he did, and as a result of the treatment he receives, he realizes how low he is. This is his humility. The humility we are to strive for is the result of our realizing just how small we are in comparison to our Creator. Look at your precious body. Is there anything dearer to you than your body? If you would look at that very body of yours with a microscope, you would see that it's really zillions of tiny, tiny molecules and mostly empty space. In fact, scientists claim that the human body is 99.9% empty space. According to the Torah, they are very close, but not quite right. When we magnify the molecules we are made of, we see that they are actually zillions of atoms and mostly empty space. Here, too, science says that each atom is really made up of 99.9% empty space. Look deeper at the atoms. You'll see gluons, quarks, and other tiny particles. When we magnify them, we find that they, too, are made up of billions and billions of even tinier particles and even more vast empty space. Soon, we find absolutely nothing at all. That's right. Your entire body, that physical thing you think you are, is right now being made out of nothing. All of creation is like this. God not only created the universe out of nothing, but he continues to do so at every moment. Right this second, he is forming this entire complex universe out of no pre-existing matter. It is simply creation of something from nothing. Yesh me'ayin. So what is so great about you anyway that you could possibly be arrogant? You're made out of nothing. This is an exercise in humility. We can come to humility from many directions. Ask yourself if what you have accomplished in all your years was as good as you could have done had you really tried hard. Did you do all that you could have? Ask yourself, what are you going to take with you when you leave this world? How important are you? Such thinking will bring you to the humility that we seek. Humility does not have to come from sin. It can come from the plain, humble facts. Lunch I was praying outside by the kota early one Shabbat morning when a very large insect flew over and stopped just a few yards in front of me. It was hovering in the air at eye level, completely still. It was nicely colored, some gold and brown. I was taken by the way it froze there, seemingly not moving up or down at all, just hanging out motionless. I began to wonder, how is it that those insect molecules are able to float perfectly still in midair. Its wings must have been flapping fiercely, but I could not see them. Just this large, perfectly still, flat, suspended bug. I thought not to waste my time thinking about and watching such a sight during prayer, but the suspended bug was just so fascinating. How does nature work it out that such a heavy thing could stand there, silent, stock still in the air? I wondered what its consciousness might have been right then. 
What was it thinking as it perched there, four or five feet off the ground? I was staring at the floating insect, trying to come close to understanding what it really was. My eyes were fixed, almost glued on to that wonder, when all of a sudden a large black blur swept fiercely into view. It came racing across the sky, zooming in from the far left corner of my left eye, streaking in front of me, on to and out of the far right corner of my right eye, one swift swoop, immediately out of sight. Zoom. The floating insect instantly disappeared, vanished. The black blur turned out to be a large, hungry bird. All that majesty, all that mystery floating in the air, that space station with all its structure that supported a living being that could actually fly, standing fixed in one place, stock still, hovering while setting its direction, calculating its next move, it was gone. It was lunch for something bigger, something that flies faster, with a greater vision that can spot a bug from a block away, something hungry, naturally sweeping the sky, snatching, gulping, so it can keep doing what it was programmed to do. Quietly somewhere, a large gray cat watches the big black bird, waiting to see where it might land, its steel eyes anticipating. And us? What is around the corner waiting to eat us? Are we any more sturdy than that bug? What are we? Nothing to brag about. There is one dot com.